think we're going to, we finished up Matthew right before Advent. We kind of walked through books of the Bible. I think we're going to do Genesis next. It's long. We'll probably be in it for three years. It's 50 chapters. So we'll see how we do. It took us a year and a half to do Matthew, so we'll see what happens with Genesis. And my pace, we're going to do one verse today. So at that pace, <laughs> n- never would be the uh, correct answer. I think Genesis is actually one of the first 11 chapters of Genesis are probably the most difficult 11 chapters in the Bible. So I'm probably going to skip all of those. And we'll just start. I'm not going to skip them. But we'll figure out that as we go. One of my first mission trips, I was 15. I grew up at First Methodist here in Marietta. And uh, we had a youth mission trip. Tom Tanner was my youth pastor then. He's the pastor at Riverstone, one of our sister churches. And our church was planted out of them. He was my youth pastor. And we went and he took a group of I think we were all in high school. Again, I was 15, and so the, the missionary, I'm assuming he was a Christian because he was a missionary, but he wasn't nice at all. His name was Mr. Brady, and we had this, our, our main responsibility was to build a house, and the house was 12 by 24. He had a blueprint, and he had all these guys that were helping. We had two guys on our team who were really good at construction, and they did most of the work, and the rest of us just kind of filled in where we could. And so me and uh, there's a friend of mine, his name is Colby. He and I, we were siding um, one part of this house, one of the 12-foot uh, sections, one of the sides. And Mr. Brady w- bought material locally, supported the local economy. So he, he bought wood that was ripped and planed and from down there locally in the place was called Highgate. In Highgate, Jamaica, and theoretically, it was tongue and groove. I don't know if you're familiar with that type of wood. There's one piece has a tongue on it, and then you set the groove on top, and it kind of locks it into place, and you're supposed to nail where the tongue and the groove meet. Now, Jamaica is a wonderful place. The, where we were, I, I'm not certain about their equipment. The boards weren't straight is really the bottom line. So we figured, me and Colby, that we could just do the best the best that we could with the materials that we were given. And so the first board that we laid was fine. Like we were able to kind of push it down and get it level on the ground. But with each successive board, we lost more and more leverage because the boards were getting higher and higher. And we were having to lean on them. I probably weighed about 115 pounds at the time. And he was smaller than me. And so we're pushing down, trying to get these the tongues to sit on the grooves while we hammered. And I honestly thought we did a pretty good job. We, we, we finish, and Mr. Brady comes over, and he pulls us back, and so we kind of step back here, and he says, here, look at that. And we're like, yeah, that looks pretty good. And he puts his arms around us, and he says, that looks terrible, except he didn't say terrible. He used words that missionaries shouldn't use. He says, that's take it down. I was like, what? He said, you got to take it down and start over. You messed up at the bottom. Everything else was messed up the whole way up. And the rest of the week, actually, he called me his special assistant, and he didn't allow me to do anything by myself the rest of the week. How you start determines how you finish in a lot of ways. The beginning of the year, are any of y'all resolution people? Anybody make resolutions? Raise your hand. We are a church based on improvement. We have seven people who made resolutions. The rest of us are fine the way we are. So that's good. So that's great. I, doesn't matter to me one way or the other. I don't make them either. All I'm going to do is disappoint myself when I break them. So, beginning of the year, maybe you're excited. Maybe you're thinking whether you made resolutions or not. Hey, I want to try this. I'm going to do this. This is 
this is how things are going to be different for me. There's some stuff that I'm looking to change or some things I'm looking forward to. If we mess up with the bottom board, if the foundation isn't good, then by default and definition, everything that's built upon it is going to be shaky. If your foundation isn't solid, then nothing that you put on, you can't trust anything that you put on it. And just being off a little bit at the beginning, over the course of time, that little bit multiplies exponentially. And you wind up not even in the ballpark of where God wanted you to go. So as we begin this year and as we begin Genesis, just the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's all we're going to look at today. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what does that actually mean for us? What does it mean that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? What it means on some level is in the beginning, the only thing that there was was God. He was the only being, the only thing, the only one in the beginning because he created the heavens and the earth. That's a phrase that means everything. So he created everything visible and invisible. That's Colossians 1, excuse me, that says that. He created everything. And in the beginning, it was just him. Uh, There's a, a branch of theology called apologetics. And apologetics tries to make the Christian faith um, reasonable. It, it, you can't prove Christianity. There's always a faith element. But apolo- apologists, people who study apologetics, who are in that kind of line of work, they see their responsibility as presenting the reasonableness of the Christian faith. It's not a bunch of superstition. It's not silly. There's, there's some solid underpinnings to it. One of the common arguments an apologist will use is called the Kalam cosmological argument. And it goes like this. It's got three points. And it just says, everything that, what does it say? Everything that has a beginning to its existence has a cause to its existence. So everything that began There's a reason that it began. There's some cause. The universe began to exist. That's the Big Bang theory, this idea that everything started with this one particle and exploded out. So there's a beginning. There was a time when the universe didn't exist. So therefore, the universe has a cause because it began to exist. It's not eternal. And the punchline for that is that God is the cause. He's the first cause, or people call him the uncaused cause, some Philosophers refer to God as a necessary being with a capital N, the only one who by his nature has to exist. Everything else, nothing else has to exist. God decided on everything else. God has to exist because of who he is, and everything else that we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, things visible and invisible are all here because God just said, hey, I want to make this. He didn't have to, he just chose to. We don't need a sun. We, uh, we can't conceive of that world, but he could have made light come from elm trees if he wanted to. We don't have to have a sun. We don't, the, he, he, he set everything up just because he chose to. He's the only thing that has no beginning. He's, again, this, this uncaused cause. He stands in front of or behind or in our world or in our, our kind of what we're talking about today, foundation. He stands underneath everything that exists. That's what it means to say, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Again, heavens and the earth, that's shorthand for the universe. So everything that we experience is built on this foundation that God created it. If you work back, Christian or not, look at astrophysics. Work back. There's this big bang. There's a time when everything began. So what started it? Or who started it? Why why is there existence instead of non? 
and kind of logically you would say, well, there, there, something kick-started the whole process. And as Christians, we would say someone kick-started the whole process. Here's a slide with a few verses that speak to this. New Testament verses that reiterate the fact that God created everything. He created the universe. He created everything through Jesus. We'll look at that next week. <coughs> Excuse me. We look at the days of creation. How did God create things? He created through Jesus. That's what these verses tell us in Corinthians and in Hebrews and in Colossians and in John. They say God, everything that is was created by him. He's the foundation of everything. And you may say, so what? Other than philosophers, who really, how does that impact me in terms of how I live my life on Monday and Thursday? What does this do? And Jesus had some very, Jesus made some strong statements during his ministry. Here's a list of some of them, just a handful. He said things like, unless you hate your family, you're not worthy to follow me. He says, take up your cross and follow me. He says, you don't need to fear the one who can destroy your body. Fear the one who can destroy your body and your soul. He says, don't worry about anything, what you're going to eat or drink, because God will take care of you with those things. Take up your cross and follow me. All of those types of things he said, and they're radical statements. And they can be difficult for us, and we kind of try to soften them in some ways. And say, well, did he really mean that? And how, how am I supposed to do, how am I, how am I not supposed to worry about putting food on the table? I've got to eat. My wife's got to eat. My kids got to eat. What am I, how, how am I supposed to not worry about that? And I think for me, I'm trying to connect in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth with these strong statements that to me are very radical that Jesus makes about priority. C.S., I'll skip, we'll come back to that. It doesn't make sense, or it's short-sighted, if God is necessary, if he's the foundation of everything, it's short-sighted for me to trade anything for that foundation. Or for me to trade that foundation for anything else is short-sighted, because ultimately whatever I'm trading that foundation for is going to fall. If he created everything, and if he holds everything together, that's Colossians 1.17. All things are held together. Everything hinges on Jesus. If that's a true statement, then for me to trade that one who's the foundation of everything and holds everything together, for me to trade him for anything else is silly. You could even say it's stupid. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense because he made all of those Things. It doesn't do me any good to have clothes if I'm dead. Dead men don't need clothes. It doesn't do me any good to have food if I'm dead. Dead men don't eat. It doesn't do me any good to have a wonderful family if I'm dead. I can't enjoy them. It doesn't do me any good to have financial success if I'm dead. It doesn't do me any good to go far in my career, to be respected in my community. None of those things matter if I'm dead. They, why would I make that trade? Interesting story in Genesis 25. We'll probably get there in 2016. So we're just going to skip ahead. Jacob and Esau are twins. Esau's born first. Jacob's born second. Honestly, in my opinion, Jacob's kind of a selfish jerk for most of his life. And at this point is one of the stories of that. Jacob's cooking some stew. Jacob's a mama's boy. He's cooking some stew. Not because he's a cooking. The Bible says he's a mama's boy. Once... When Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why he's also called Edom. Edom means red. The stew was red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright. 
look what I'm, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank. Then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Hebrews 12 actually says Esau was godless in what he did. Here's what lentil soup looks like. See that picture? That's nasty to me. (laughs) Even if you like it, is it worth trading your inheritance for? Firstborn son gets a double portion of the inheritance. (coughs) Excuse me. So Jacob's got, you know, if there's, if there's 12 kids, then Esau, there's not of them. So however many kids he's got, Esau gets double, whatever that would be. And more importantly, firstborn son, that's the one through whom the promises of God would continue. There's a spiritual component there. Jacob said, God said to Jacob, it's through your son, through these descendants, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac. So we've got this thing here. And Esau says, you know, I'm really hungry, and so I'm just going to trade all of that. I don't need any of that. Whatever these promises of God are, whatever it's going to mean for my children or my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren or my great-great-great-grandchildren, I don't care. It doesn't do me any good to have this inheritance if I'm dead. So sure, and legally it's binding when he swore. That's a legally binding statement. He gave away his inheritance, not just the money and the goats and the camels and whatever the material possessions are that are part of this inheritance, he gave away. He gave away this massive blessing that God has for Jacob's sons, for Isaac's sons. Now it passes to Jacob instead of to Esau. I think about that, and I think, what an idiot. Like, if nothing, like, punch your brother in the mouth and take the bowl of soup. You don't have to trade. You just came in from hunting. Did you get anything? If not, go back and get. How hungry can you be? How hung? When was the last time you ate? Yesterday? Surely you can make it. Figure out. So just take the bread. Like there's got to be some way to get fed that doesn't involve selling everything. Trading everything that you've been promised as the firstborn. I think about that with us, and I think, man, do I do that? What are the places, where am I tempted to sell my birthright? Where am I tempted to trade the things that God has said, here, this is what I've got for you in exchange for something else because I'm really hungry or because I'm really lonely or because I'm really tired or because I'm really upset or really frustrated or really sad or really broke or really desperate? How many times do I trade? It's the opposite of in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If God is this foundation upon which everything is built, why would I trade him for anything? It's this picture of Jacob and Esau. That's what it looks like. It's what it looks like to go after even things that are good. Family is good. Food is necessary. Clothes, I'm super glad you're all wearing them. Those are things. These aren't, this isn't, they're not sinful things that Jesus is saying, put me in front of. Romans 1, you'll see that. And Paul talks about, he says they, they exchanged, they traded the glory of God for images, made, for things made in the image of birds and people. That's idolatry. Jesus isn't even talking about it in that sense. I think we're, we're all kind of repulsed by those things and the 
Holy Spirit within us moves us in that away from that. We feel that conviction. What Jesus is talking about are the things that we think are good, the things that are that life is made of. Food and clothes and family, even life itself. And he says, You gotta, I'm you can't trade me for those things. Because in the beginning, it's just God. Nothing else existed. And all of those things are dependent upon or contingent upon him. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that we've been, we've been given all spiritual blessings in Christ. Jesus says, Matthew 6, if you'll seek me first, seek my kingdom first, I'll give you everything else. C.S. Lewis says, aim for heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim for earth, you'll lose them both. There's this picture that says if, if your foundation, I'm changing metaphors, if your foundation is anything other than him, it's not, whatever you're building, it's all going to crash. And if your foundation will be him, then the stuff that's built on it will stand. You get both. You get the foundation and the house. If you just concentrate on the house, you're going to lose it because there's no foundation underneath it. It's what it means for in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I looked at these... Um, I was thinking about that. It takes a tenth of a second to make a first impression. That's how quickly you judge somebody in a tenth of a second. In science, so many times you're right. You're dead on. Your first instinct is right a lot of the time. A tenth of a second. Think how fast that is. It's this opening impression you have. And this is God's opening word to us. In the beginning, I made everything. What does that say to us about him? What does it reveal to us about his character? I was thinking about creation, and God didn't have to make anything. Theologians say God is sufficient, which is a, just a way of saying he had everything he needed. He was perfectly content, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They didn't need anything else. Other religions, gods would create people because they wanted to be served, or because they wanted entertainment, or for whatever reason. Christianity says, no, God's actually perfectly happy, with or without, because he's perfect. That's what it means to be perfect. He doesn't need us. We don't bring anything to the table. He delights in us, but he doesn't need us. When I think of Christianity and we talk about inviting Jesus into our life, that's biblical and that's good, but it can kind of turn things sideways. What Genesis 1-1 says is God's inviting us into his life. In the beginning, it was just him, and he was, again, perfectly content, and he chose to create the heavens and the earth, which is you and me. We'll look at that in the next couple of weeks. What does it look like for us to be created in his image? But one of the things that it means is he's inviting you into his life. We don't invite him into ours. He's the foundation. We're not. He's perfectly content without us. Don't mean he doesn't love us. But he's, again, he's this perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit of joy and love and fulfillment. We don't, we don't add anything to that. Which, again, it doesn't minimize us, I don't think. I think it just puts us in our proper place. Which says it's not about me inviting God into my life. It's about him inviting me into his He's this great initiator. He didn't have to create anything, and yet look at all the stuff he chose to create. I had some friends who were big scuba divers, and they would say, I don't get why God puts these beautiful things under 50 feet of water where hardly anyone's going to see them. 
why does he do that? Why, why aren't those things on display? And they were, she, this girl, and they were, she was praying one day and just felt like God said, I knew you'd see it. It's kind of this picture. Everything for him, it's, he initiates, he creates all of this. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. And he creates us for the same thing. He says, I'm going to invite y'all into this life that, I'm, that I am. It's a great privilege that we have to follow along with this great initiator who's vehemently, violently opposed to the stuff that we heard about earlier today and is working to, to rectify that and creates roses and both and everything in between. And that's the invitation for you today and moving forward for this year. What does it look like for you, for your foundation, your, that first board that you lay in the wall of 2014? What if the one that you lay is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? What would that look like for you? say he's the foundation for me he's the only necessary thing he's the only thing that has to be everything else only has meaning in terms of its relationship to him because he made it all even things as basic to us as food and water and companionship even those things are secondary because they weren't in the beginning there was a time when those things were not there was a never there was never a time when he was not there was a time when time was not. Try to get your mind around that. So what does that look like for you this morning to say, you know what? It's the first board I'm going to put down, and it's going to be straight. That one is straight. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then playing off of that, what are you tempted to sell that for? It's not going to be something cheap for you. I know you're not going to do that. It's not going to feel cheap. Esau really thought, he thought, man, I'm done. I'm on my last legs here. He wasn't. He just thought he was. He thought that bowl of beans was the most important thing in the world. We've got perspective and we can see that. Where are you tempted? Where do you lose perspective? Who are the people who throw you off? What are the circumstances that get you out of whack? where you're tempted to trade this birthright that God has given to you for a bowl of lentils. Let's pray. All right, we're going to try this. I'm going to pray, and in a second, I'm just going to ask you to grab onto the first thing that pops into your mind, and we'll see if it's the Lord speaking to you or not. God, I know this is disjointed, and my prayer for each of us is that we would know what it looks like for you to be the foundation for us. And I don't honestly know what that looks like for all the people in this room. I think it's different. But we need it, God. We don't want to build this year our lives on anything shaky. You're the only straight board that we can lay down first. And if we're building on anything else, we're going to step back on December 31st and we're going to look back and we're going to say, hey, that looks pretty good. And you're going to say, listen, it's all out of whack. So God, I pray first you would show us 
For some of us, I'm talking about birthright, and they're going, I don't even know what that, I don't have one. What is that? I got no inheritance. And so, God, I pray first that you would just show us what is that? What are the good works that you've created for us to do? What are the plans and the purposes that you have to prosper us and not to harm us? What does it mean for us to be co-heirs with Jesus? God, I pray even now you would speak to the men and women in this room. Just flash something in front of their eyes, something specific for them, what their birthright is. If something popped into your mind, I just want you to grab onto it. And kind of just hold on to that with one hand. And God, I pray you'd also show us what are the things that compete. And that's different for each of us. What are the things that we're tempted to trade that birthright for? For some of us, it's for relationship. We'll do anything. We're lonely and we'll do anything to be included. We'll do anything to be liked. We'll do anything to be accepted. For some in here, they're just, they're broke. We'll do anything to pay the bills. Maybe it's other things, I don't know. Pray now that you would speak to each of us and you would show us what what's the bowl of soup that the enemy kind of waves in front of us and says, hey, you can have this. Give me that thing that God has promised you and I'll give you this thing that's crying out to be addressed. If something flashed in your mind, I want you to grab onto that with your other hand if you can in your heart I just want you to pray this after me you don't have to pray it out loud you can just pray it in your heart God I don't want to trade the things that you have promised to me for anything else I don't want to be like Esau God I want to build my year and my life on the solid foundation that's in the beginning it, it was just you and in your love and your grace and your creativity you chose to create this world and me you've invited me into your life and for me to participate with First things first. I've got to have the right foundation. Show me the places where I'm weak. Show me the places where the foundation is cracked. And God, even more so, show me what it looks like on Tuesday to live in light of the fact that you created the heavens and the earth. Show me what it looks like in March to live in, the, in light of the fact that you Show me what it looks like when I get the job or don't get the job or get the raise or don't get the raise or my kids are doing well or poorly or my marriage is thriving or sorry or whatever those things. Show me what it looks like to live my life in light of the fact that in the beginning there was just you and you created the heavens and the earth. In Jesus' name.
We're going to close with a little bit of worship and ministry. We'll have ministry teams here up in the corner. We'll pray with you about anything you've got going on. If you had something kind of flash through your mind during those moments of silence, I would love, we would love to pray with you about that, asking God to give you grace in both of those areas, both to go after this birthright that he's promised to you and not to, and or not to fall into the, the temptation to sell it for whatever that thing is that's uh, in front of you. So you guys can stand. We'll close with ministry. Bo will dismiss us after this song.